Well, good morning. If uh, just a, a quick reminder, uh, if you signed up for BTI, um, they have st- they're starting this week. So if you get up and leave, I, I won't say that you're unfaithful. Um, um, but yeah, that was supposed to be a joke, people. Uh-huh. There we go. <laughs> okay, I just guess I lost my sense of humor, um, or it's only funny in my own head. Um, so. Uh, yeah, the smaller group here, because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for our BTI starting during the Sunday school hour here. We have 45 people signed up for our BTI. We're going to be graduating some this morning uh, in our morning service. So there's a lot of great stuff going on in our church and, and a lot that we can be grateful for. Uh, so before we go anywhere, though, uh, I think it's, it's always most important to go before our, our Lord in prayer. So let's go before him this morning and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for your church, this wonderful body of believers, not just this local assembly that meets here on Young Street, but to be part of the church universal the church that has been meeting historically for thousands of years and and even in the last 24 hours through time zones through through continents through through nations through every tribe and tongue your gospel has been proclaimed and we here on on the west coast of of the united states are some of the last in the day to do it so, Lord, we pray that you would allow our praises to be faithful and true. May they be honoring to you. May you be glorified. Father, we thank you for this morning as we can also sit under the instruction of your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have been given as those who have the written scriptures in front of us a privilege that not every generation has always had. And to have them written in even in our own language, again, a privilege not every generation. In fact, such a recent phenomenon in world history to have your scriptures in our own tongue. How dare we not see the privilege we have to study and to read it and to glean from it the marvelous truths hidden within it. We thankful, we're thankful for your son this morning, the one who paid our price on the cross, who paid the ransom that we owed but could not pay. We're thankful for his faithfulness to the cross, and we, thankful, we thank you for the life we have through his resurrection. Thank you again, Lord, that we can celebrate this morning as people of a risen king and that we can study your word and we can have it change our lives. We thank you for this awesome privilege. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week uh, we, we started our series kind of on can't remember what the elders called it, but kind of how to live biblically in this present age. That's what I'm going to call it today. Um, but our theme for this, this is kind of part two this week of, of the theme of faithfulness. 
and uh, kind of with that idea of no more excuses. And last week, as we went over just kind of the the basic uh, um, premise of what faithfulness is, there was three kind of foundational things to to faithfulness. Does does anybody remember? No? Okay. Well... (laughs) I kind of talked about a little bit of, I, I tried to diagram with my finger uh, what faithfulness is. Faithfulness can really be resp- uh, uh, talked about in, in three different ways. We can talk about responsibility. That is one of the elements of, of faithfulness is, is responsibility. The other is accountability. And the other is reward. Responsibility, accountability, reward. So with responsibility comes accountability, and with that faithfulness to your accountability, you gain a reward. Quite often the reward is more responsibility, and therefore uh, increased accountability. And, and it just keeps continuing on like that. I know it might be hard to read, um, but you can see the general idea of it. So there's, with increased responsibility comes increased reward and accountability, but all of that increases faithfulness. And that is what we really want to uh, strive for in the Christian life. We want to be known as those who are faithful. And last time we, we studied uh, Matthew 25 um, to, to really kind of understand what that meant. Today we're going to continue studying some of these passages, but we're going to start a little bit on, the, on a negative note. Um, I didn't want to end on a negative note last week, so I have to start on a negative note this week. That means I get to end on a positive note again. Um, uh, the principle of faithfulness and, and trustworthiness. If you're faithful, it means that you are trustworthy. Those kind of are, are almost synonyms. It means that you're dependable. It means that you're reliable. Uh, as a rule, when you see the word faithfulness in the scriptures, you can substitute any one of those synonyms, and you'll get a pretty good picture of what the word entails. But incidentally, the, the principle has, has a lot of relevance of how a Christian leader should be treated when he falls into sin. Think about it. We have, there's a, a strong Christian leader, and there's typically two extreme attitudes that the church tends to adopt when a Christian leader, somebody who's been given much responsibility and much accountability when one of them falls. What is one response that generally happens? What's one response? Christian leader falls. Anger. What do you do? Do you keep him in the pulpit or do you kick him out? You kick him out. Get rid of him. Get rid of him quickly. Uh, the sooner the better. Never to be allowed into ministry again. That's one response. Another extreme example, and I would say that one is in some ways unbiblical, um, and this one would be another unbiblical example, is to, let's just sideline him for a, a little while, keep it hush-hush uh, on the whole matter, and maybe in a few years we'll put him back at the same level from which he fell. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm hearing no's. And I go, we say no, but that happens. It does happen. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Neither of those really are fully the way it's supposed to work. How, do, how did that missionary or seminary president or, or a pastor or whoever got to the point, how did they fall? 
uh, and from which they fell. Did, did they just walk out of, out of college one day or out of high school and, and apply for the job that they got? No, they had to rise up to that position. Uh, they started from the bottom. They started from the bottom. Um, maybe when, when that person was in college, what he did was, was something simple. Uh, worked as a, as a receptionist or, or, or a cashier or made sandwiches or something real simple um, and, and something really not very prestigious, but over time worked his way into a position of, of leadership and accountability, but, and he was entrusted with lots of responsibilities over time. He was held accountable and he was rewarded for faithfully executing every one of his responsibilities. And part of that reward was another set of responsibilities. So he got to that position through faithfulness. Then there was more accountability, and then he was rewarded with more responsibility, rung by rung, kind of step by step. He, he got to the top of the ladder. And when we stumble, that is the way the restoration process, generally speaking, should also proceed. We go back to one of the lower rungs of the ladder. Probably not all the way to the first rung because I don't have to go back to college. I've done that already. I don't don't need a re-education to learn simple English grammar again. That's that's already built in there. So you don't have to go all the way back to the bottom, but to, to one of the lower rungs. And at some point, that person has to demonstrate those to, to those around them that they are faithful again. We'll have to reclimb a portion of the ladder before we can be restored, fully restored. We can find these three elements of, of principles of faithfulness in, in other passages of Scripture than we studied last week. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul is attempting to deal with the, the carnality, the, the, the fallenness of some of the Corinthian church who seem to be following certain men rather than, than following Christ. In, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, it says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one of you take care how he builds upon it. Paul is saying he was sort of like a contractor who specialized in pouring concrete. He'd go into a city, he'd scope out territory, he'd design a blueprint for the local church based upon the specs that he got from his boss, and he'd lay the foundations, and then the the rest of the building he'd turn over to, to other faithful men. See, he says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, The things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who are able to teach others also. He's, he's building upon that foundation through other faithful men. In this case, it was pastors and teachers and evangelists. He laid the foundation, turned the job over to these other fellows, these subcontractors, and then he moved on to the next town. That's what he was doing. Here is responsibility, the first principle of faithfulness. It says in 1 Corinthians, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. It says in verse 10. 
Paul's going from his own personal experience to that of his readers. He's flipping the tables on them. He's saying, I do this in the context of the church. And then he's exhorting, exhorting his readers to, to imitate that example of faithfulness that he says. He says, each of you, and he uses that language later on, he says, any man over and over and over again. He's not limiting it to himself. He's saying, in essence, there's, there's a bigger principle here. Each of us is, each of you is building your own building. Christ is building his church with his people, but his but with his strength, you are building a life that is, is meant to bring honor and glory to Christ. It's your responsibility to, to build your life on the foundation of Christ because he is what? He is that foundation. He's the only foundation. In verse 11, it says, For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is who? Christ Jesus. So that foundation of faithfulness comes initially from laying a foundation of Christ. Paul wanted to be sure that the foundation was laid correctly because he knew that the whole structure that the church was going to be built on depended on that principle. So he personally oversaw its construction. But once the foundation was laid, what did he do? He found other faithful workers and assigned them the responsibility of finishing the project. That includes you and I. You and I are those workers. You've been given the responsibility, if you are a believer in Christ, to help build the church. You are actually part of the building itself. You've been given the responsibility of constructing a life that will bring honor and glory to him. Continuing on in chapter 3 there in verses 12 and 13, it says, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. Here comes principle number two, the, the principle of accountability. For the day will show itself, show it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Someday, you and I will give an account for the manner of which we constructed our building. Did we use precious materials that could withstand the fire? What were our motives? How did we conduct ourselves on the job, and how did we faithfully serve in the task that was given to us? Now, what's the final principle we see it here as well, that, that idea of reward in verse 14. If any man's work, which he's built on it, remains, he will receive what? A reward. The New Testament speaks often of the rewards that, that we'll receive in heaven. One of the most common ways it describes this re, these rewards is as crowns. Crowns of righteousness, crowns of life, crowns of exaltation, crowns of glory, um, I like to think of that wonderful song, Crown Him with Many Crowns, as we cast our crowns before him. All those rewards, we're, we're just going to give them right back anyways. 
But we will be rewarded when we get to heaven for the way we built Christ's church and the way we conducted and constructed down here. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So there's a negative reward. All rewards aren't positive. Some of them are negative. The negative reward is not the loss of eternal life, but the loss of some portion of your heavenly reward. If you're not faithful, your reward in heaven will, re- will correspond to the quality of the material, material that you're using right now to complete your building. So be faithful. You don't want to lose any of your reward. A reward. Well, there's some, so there's, there's some of the obstacles to faithfulness. What are the greatest obstacles to faithfulness? It's kind of what we're, we're going to discuss for a little bit here. Have you ever considered what the opposite of faithfulness really is? Let's go back to Matthew 25. Go back to Matthew chapter 25 here, where we were last week, to kind of review a little bit and take a look at verses 24 through 26. Because this passage tells us the obstacle, the greatest obstacle to faithfulness. See if you can find it in here. Chapter 25 of Matthew, verses 24 through 26. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. His master answered him, What? You wicked, lazy slave. The first two slaves were told that they were good and faithful. The third slave was told something entirely different and contrary to that. What's the opposite of being good? Wicked. So the opposite of what's so if the opposite of being good is wicked, what is the opposite of being faithful? Lazy. Lazy. Right again. You wicked, lazy slave, his master says. You knew that I reaped where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Laziness is not the only thing, but it's, the, it's probably the principle that keeps most people from being faithful. And, and one of the chief characteristics of a lazy person is that he is full of excuses. Full of them. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. Solomon put it this way in, in Proverbs 22. He says, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. These are excuses. Excuses, of course, began where? Garden of Eden. So we are no stranger to excuses. The woman you gave me, <laughs> she gave me the fruit and I ate. And, and they continue to today. You probably made some this morning. I made some when I got out of bed. I don't need to get out of bed just yet. <laughs> I can put it off a little. Um, 
when we do counseling, we deal with excuses on a regular basis. I think most of my counseling, I, I deal with excuse after excuse. One of the biggest, most important part of, of a counselor's job is to, to rid people of their excuses that they have. And, and you, you know, uh, we get them all the time. Perhaps the, the, the one that we get the most is, I can't. I just can't. And, and I got a couple examples here. Some of these wonderful I can't excuses. I can't forgive him. I, I can't go back to my wife. I can't stop that habit. I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, Philippians 4.13 tells us otherwise. Philippians 4.13, when, when we hear these I can't excuses, the first thing we say is, no, no, you can't say I can't as a Christian because Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And, and, and if God says you must do it, you can't say can't. As Christians, we learn to do anything that the Bible says we should do. Well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> well, I, I'm not an expert in dogs. But I, and I'm not a dog trainer. Although, where is Dave Dahl? He's been like doing dog obedience, like certification kind of stuff. It's really kind of interesting talking to him about it. Um, but it may be true about dogs, but God says over and over again that this is not true of people. When we use the, the line, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you can and you must change if you are a Christian, and it doesn't matter what age you are at. There is no excuse, because in Christ, through him who strengthens you, you can do all things. Remember that passage in its proper context. This isn't one of those, I can go fly around the planet because... God, give me wings. No, that's, this isn't a prosperity gospel. This isn't a, a high and fly. This is, I can do all these things. If I go back to that, that last one, all those things, those, those excuses, if God's commanded you, you can do them through Christ who gives you strength at any, way, at any age. Uh, but that's just the way I am, somebody says. Well, you just have to be different now, won't you? Just be different. Well, you don't know what it's like to live with my spouse. Well, that's true. <laughs> I don't know what it's like to live with your spouse. And so often, even when I do some counseling, I, I get these, I get people saying, well, you're single. You've never been married. You don't know what it's like to be married. My response is, I don't have to go through everything to know what the Bible says about it. I've never had to be a drug addict to counsel a drug addict. I don't, yes, I might not have to live with a difficult spouse, but I know what the Bible says about a response of a husband. And I might know, not know what it's like to have done this or that or to be married to such and such a person, but all I essentially have to know is what the Bible says about how a Christian should glorify God in every circumstance. That does not change. After all, some of the 
the best the best obstetricians in the world are sometimes men. And then there is that I know, but genre of excuses. I know what the Bible says, but I know I shouldn't speed, but I just but I just put two twin turbochargers on my new Jaguar. Come on. I know it's wrong to overeat, but if I don't eat, I'll, I'll, it'll all go to waste. I, I know I should control my temper, but my wife doesn't seem to understand anything else but screaming and yelling. I know I should obey my parents, but they're out of touch with reality. They don't even have an iPhone. I know I shouldn't miss church, but, the, but, but I could just stay in bed and, and, and watch a YouTube video of a sermon. That's the same thing, isn't it? I know I shouldn't be late for class, but I squeezed the toothpaste too hard, and I had a very difficult time getting it back into the tube. You know, you can come up with any excuse. I know, but, 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 but. One preacher refers to, to these people like this as billy goat Christians. What, what excuse-making Christian is really saying, please excuse me from living a responsible... Here, I should, Please excuse me from living a responsible, biblical life on the basis that my case is different than everyone else's. That's all you're saying with that kind of an excuse. Anytime you put a, uh, I know, but, you're saying your, excuse, your, your reasoning is, is more than the Bible can handle and that Christ has, has called you to. But God says that our cases are not different, and a faithful person realizes that. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, no temptation is overtaking you, but is such as common to man. And God is faithful. Now you know what that word means, faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. What excuses have you used most often to justify neglecting your responsibility? Consider some of the different categories. I mean, we, we talked about the I can'ts. We talked about the the the, the different buts. So we, there's there's different. We have the I can't excuse, claiming you don't have the ability to do what the Bible says you should do. You have the the blame shifting excuse. I would have done that if so and so or such and such hadn't done this or, or done. Th- been so hard on me. We have, you know, we have family excuses. Whoop, whoop, come on. Technology, come on. There's my technology, but, you know, all right. Um, technology excuses, family excuses. My husband, my wife, my children, my parents keep me from doing what I know I need to do. What about the business or work-related excuses? Or my personal favorite, the possession excuses, the, the enjoyment or maintenance of that which you possess, which follows closely on the heels of the, of the pleasure excuses, those recreational things that you'd rather do than fulfill your responsibilities. All these excuses that we come up with over and over and over again. 
they just wear away at that faithful characteristic that we're called to. Another characteristic of of lazy and often of an unfaithful person is that he is fearful. Fearful. There is in the Bible a correlation between making excuses and being afraid. Matthew 25, still in there, chapters 24 and 25, or verses, verses 24 and 25. He also said, Who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. What does it say in verse 25? So I was what? Afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. I was afraid, and so I went away. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Let's look at another example of somebody in fear. Genesis chapter 3. You probably know exactly which one I'm talking about here. Genesis chapter 3 in verse 8 through verse 12. Genesis 3, 8 through 12. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, what? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now turn back into the New Testament to Acts chapter 24. Acts 24. Got to get there myself. Acts 24, verses 24 and 25. Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said go away for the present when i get an opportunity i will summon you felix became in other words frightened so he put off there was this fear fear is a powerful emotion that often paralyzes those who don't know how to handle it biblically When we allow our fear and our worry to take a foothold, our minds become so consumed that that by then we become so distracted from focusing our attention, we we neglect our responsibilities. So we neglect them because we are, to, to varying degrees, crippling ourselves with all these anxious thoughts. Consequently, we succumb, at least temporarily, to, to laziness or unfaithfulness. Something that we talked about earlier as being wicked even so what specific fears have kept you from biblical responsibilities we've got i've got a list of 14 here we have the fear of rejection we have the fear of conflict the fear of failure the fear of embarrassment fear of punishment 
fear of loneliness, fear of losing control, fear of poverty, fear of boredom, fear of dying, fear of pain, fear of losing freedom, fear of being less than perfect, fear of speaking improperly. There's a couple others, fear of, of litigation, fear of the unknown, actually I think a fear of proper consequences, fear of improper consequences. Think of that. Consequences that we imagine even if they're unrealistic or unlikely to happen. Fear of being taken before the courts, fear of the unknown, fear of getting angry, fear of traveling. Fear of something bad happening to a loved one. And there's probably a whole host of other things that you could add into that list. But what are the three tests of a faithful person? These are those, we, we just talked about the excuses and fears of, 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 the, of, of those who should be faithful. But what are the tests of those who are faithful? What, what marks a faithful man or a woman? These tests are found after the parable of the unjust steward in Luke 16. Incidentally, you can find the three principles of faithfulness in, in, the, in that passage as well. The, the unjust steward was given a responsibility. He was given a stewardship. He was held accountable. It says he was given account of your stewardship. And he was even rewarded for his unfaithful practices of, by losing his stewardship, that, that negative reward. You can check that out in Luke 16 on your own. So what are the three tests of a faithful man or woman? First, a faithful man or woman is faithful in little things. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous is very little, is a very little thing, in a very little thing is also unrighteous also in much. Little things are important. They're important to God. How faithful you are you with the little things? Little things like that promise that you made, like the ministries that you've assumed, like the, the, the things that you've done that are, the, the bills you had to pay that are overdue. Little things like keeping your car clean, returning telephone calls, doing household repairs, responding to, to people when they call or email you. Little things like reading directions on something before you try to assemble it. Little things like using good grammar and practicing good table manners. Little things are important. Not just to others, they are important to God. Which little things are you most likely to let slip? How often do you typically neglect them? Think about those. Think about those responsibilities that, you're, that, that you are likely to let slip, and how frequently do you let that happen? How many times per day or week or month? Second test of a faithful man or woman is the, is the mark of faithfulness in finances. So much of what we, I mean, out of the overflow of the, the mouth, the heart speaks. But also, you can tell somebody's heart by where they put their checkbook so often. 
It says in Luke 16, 11, Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? The, the word riches is not in the original of that verse. It, it says, If therefore you've not been faithful in the use of your money, Jesus says, who will commit the truth to you? If you don't handle your finances right, you're going to have a difficult time a difficult time applying the Bible to your life. Now, I've got a difficult chart that's hard to read, because, but I will read it out to you. On the, on the left-hand side are how I handle money, and on the, on the right-hand side is how I handle truth. First one, do I view money as a stewardship God entrusted to do I view money as a stewardship entrusted to me by God? Do do I see God as the source of my wealth? Well, the correlating, do I see truth as a stewardship committed to me by God? Do I see God as the source of truth? Secondly, do I use my money primarily for my own selfish purposes or for God's glory and the benefit of others? I'm just going to take a little departure here. The Apple came out with their new iPhone this week. This has kind of been a, a soapbox of mine this week. <laughs> if anyone spends $1,000 on a phone, first of all, there's nothing wrong with that. If the Lord has given you the resources to do that, I have no problem with that. But if you don't have the resources that make that a simple purchase and you're not contributing to your local church and ministry, I'm not saying that for our benefit, but I can tell where your heart is at because a phone takes nice pictures that can be deleted. And I'll tell you this, next September, iPhone's going to come out with a better phone. <laughs> but I tell you, the, the things that you invest in the ministry of Christ endures and has longevity to it. So do I use my money primarily for my own selfish purposes or for God's glory and the benefit of others? Well, on the side of truth, do I use my wisdom for selfish purposes, like to make people think well of me? Or do I do it for God's glory or for the benefit of others? Do I give God's money for the cause of Christ or do I hoard it? Same thing can be said about God's word. Do I share his word for the cause of Christ or do I hoard it? Do I keep it to myself? To what degree am I concerned about feeding the poor? To what degree am I concerned about feeding the poor, the spiritually poor? Do I save some of my earnings for future use? Again, do I hide scripture in my heart for future use? Am I laying up treasures on earth? Am I laying up treasures in heaven? Am I honest in all my financial dealings? Am I honest in the interpretation and application of Scripture to my life? Do I work hard for my money rather than depending on others to provide for my sustenance with little or no effort of my own? This one is, is, is one that I think we all need to take a, a look at. Do I work hard to understand the Bible to feed myself rather than depend only on others to feed me spiritually. You don't do that with your work. Well, you shouldn't be doing that with your work. You shouldn't be doing that with your spiritual life either. 
You should be studying and learning on your own, feeding yourself. Like I said at the beginning, we have a treasure that for 1,500 years, people didn't have the literacy and they didn't even have the, the printing press wasn't available, so they didn't have scriptures in their home. Think about the gift you have. Think about that. Do I throw money away on things I don't need? On the side of, of truth, do I cast my pearls before swine? On the side of money, am I prone to follow get-rich-quick get rich schemes? On the side of truth, am I follow, prone to follow instant or easy methods of spiritual satisfaction and sanctification? How many days per week do I spend earning money? How many days per week do I spend reading, studying, or memorizing God's word? Do I keep track or record of my finances? Do I keep track or keep records of what the Lord has taught me through his word? Do I love money more than I love the truth and wisdom? Like, do I long to be more financially prosperous than spiritually prosperous? Or do I love truth and wisdom more than I love money? Do I long to be more spiritually prosperous than financially prosperous? This is a good one as well. Do I plan to teach my children how to provide for themselves when I'm gone? Am I planning to leave them an inheritance, basically? But on the side of truth, do I plan to teach my children how to provide for themselves spiritually when I'm gone? Or when they leave the home? Am I planning to leave a spiritual inheritance to my children? So we had faithfulness in little things, faithfulness in finances, and now we have faithfulness in that which is another's. As the third test. Luke 16, 12, if, if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? Stewardship involves the management of another's personal goods. Stewardship is one who is entrusted with the management of property, finances, and other affairs that are not his own. You could probably go through and list all the different things that you, the, of, of affairs that you, you are required for managing. God's affairs. What are you required of managing? Your employer, your spouses, your parents, your, your child's, all these different things. You need to consider what are those things that you are to be responsible for. When I was in college, and, and this was a principle my parents taught me as well, um, never borrow or never visit somebody's house or never use something without returning it better than you found it. When, when I was in college, uh, I toured with a music group. And when you have 60 men on a bus, and then you go and you raid people's homes, first of all, it, was, it would always baffle people when young college men would leave their home and they'd vacuum and they'd dust and they'd clean the mirrors and everything. We would, that was our conductor's, like, command to us. You leave that home better than you found it. And those people, we'd walk into homes that were immaculate. It was hard <laughs> at times. And you don't return something that you've borrowed until it's in better condition than, than you found it. It's what Jesus did. Have you ever considered that Jesus borrowed a lot of things? He borrowed a manger. He, he borrowed food. Remember the, the fish and the bread? 
definitely left those better than he found them. He borrowed boats and cups. He, he borrowed a colt in an upper room. He even borrowed a tomb. And, and you can be sure that he returned all those things in a proper condition. He was faithful in that which was another's. So now, do we have a clear understanding now of what it means to be faithful? A, a little bit more. To review, first there's that working definition of faithfulness. That, that demonstrating, oh, okay, sorry, there we go. That, that demonstrating to, to God and others that I can be trusted with greater and greater responsibilities based upon the, the faithful execution of, of my former responsibilities. Then there are those three principles of faithfulness. I asked them at the beginning, kind of said them a number of times. Does anybody remember them? What are the three principles of faithfulness. First one starts with an R. Responsibility. Second one is starts with an A. Accountability. What's the third one? It's also an R. Reward. All right. Yay! We remembered. All right. You're faithful. <laughs> and lastly, the synonyms for faithfulness, those dependability, the reliability, the, the trustworthiness. This is the kind of person who, when we want to hire somebody, to, to call somebody to do something, to, to, to invest in somebody. These are the kinds of people we look for. This is the kind of person you look for. Therefore, that's the kind of person you need to be yourself. It's more important than the fact that that's what man looks for. This is the kind of person whom God is looking to use and to put into his service. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 12, he said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. That is what we need to consider ourselves. Are we faithful that God would put us into his service? All right. That's faithfulness. And... Oh, I'm on time this time. Yay! All right. Yesterday I let you out early, or last week I let you out early. This week, right on time. So I'm faithful with your time, too. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the faithfulness that you've shown to us, that you've demonstrated that you've removed every excuse that we have because we have seen God himself humble himself to being a man. Humbling himself, as Philippians says, to the point of death, yes, even death on a cross. And therefore, Father, when we consider your faithfulness to us, to redeem us from our sins, to pay that ultimate price, to take that responsibility upon yourself, to show us the accountability that the Son had with the Father and the Father with the Son and the Spirit. Father, we, we understand that that reward is so great and that reward has been imparted to us. So how dare we, Father, not express through our own lives the gratitude we have by living faithfully unto our King.
unto our Savior, unto our God. We thank you that you've given us responsibilities as believers, all at different levels and at different levels of, of ability. We pray that you would find us each faithful in what you have given to us. And may you increase our accountability. May you increase our service. And while we gain reward, Father, we understand that that reward is a bonus. It's not something even we, we completely deserve. So, Father, may we be faithful with the little and with the much so that you, honor, you our Lord and God, would be honored and glorified in the little things and in the great things. We pray this in the great name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is faithful unto death and is faithful today before the Father to intercede on our behalf. We pray in his name. Amen.